helping to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. This is the Constitution Study on the America Out Loud Network with your host, Paul Engel. Have you heard about CBDCs? Central bank digital currencies seem to be all the rage in governments around the world, especially the tyrannical ones. This probably explains why the Biden administration is looking into starting one. What is a central bank digital currency? Would they be good for the country or not? Would an American CBDC even be constitutional? That's a great place to start. So I'm going to kick this off with an article I've written on CBDCs. In every dystopian novel or movie I can think of, there is either an oppressive government or a government not functioning at all. As we travel this road of life, we should be asking ourselves if any action we take will lead to more liberty or more control. Take, for example, central bank digital currencies, or CBDCs for short. Would this new currency allow Americans more liberty or would it give government more control over our lives? To understand this, we first need to look at what CBDCs are, then we need to answer a couple of questions. First, would an American CBDC be constitutional? Second, let's look at this proverbial digital coin and decide for ourselves, do the benefits outweigh the costs? The main difference between digital currencies and what most people think of as currency is physical existence. The current dollar is a physical currency. You can hold it in your hand, either as coins or bills. You can trade it with others or store it for later use. A digital currency only exists in a digital form, meaning there are only numbers on a ledger somewhere and can only be traded via computer or other electronic device like a smartphone. Now, digital currencies should not be confused with payment apps like Venmo or PayPal or with credit or debit cards. All current payment options, whether digital or physical, are trading in physical dollars created by the Federal Reserve, though that's a good place to get an understanding of how an American CBDC would work. In today's economy, the Federal Reserve, America's central bank, creates money digitally. They don't create a digital currency, but they create money by making changes in a digital ledger, then buying bonds from the U.S. Treasury in the same amount. In effect, the Fed creates money to loan to the federal government through the U.S. Treasury. This money then enters the economy through the reserve banks, where other banks can borrow what is known as the federal funds rate. This is the interest rate we keep hearing about when the news reports the, the Fed's raising or lowering interest rates. When you go to your local bank for a loan, they give you the money from their assets, and if necessary, borrow additional money from the Federal Reserve to keep themselves liquid. The important difference between the money the Fed creates out of thin air and the digital currency we've been talking about is you can always convert your money into physical cash, which you cannot do with digital currency. Now, when I was a child living in New York City, I was not allowed to leave the house without a dime in my pocket. Yes, a payphone in New York City was only a dime when I was a child. This is an example of physical currency we're all familiar with. Just like any physical currency, it has its drawbacks. It, it can be lost or stolen. And it can be quite inconvenient when dealing with large sums of money or when trying to get change from that teenager working behind the counter. When I was a child, certain businesses would extend credit to good customers to make life easier. 
Don't worry about carrying cash or making change. Simply charge it to your account, then pay the bill at the end of the month. But this too was inconvenient since you had to pay each business separately and it didn't work at places where you had not previously set up an account. Then credit cards entered the scene. The first credit cards, Diners Club, were given out in 1950, yes, before I was even born, and were only accepted at a handful of restaurants around New York City. This idea exploded, and today there are hundreds, if not thousands, of companies offering credit cards. Now, on its face, a credit card is a simple thing. When you purchase something on a credit card, the credit card company pays that business minus a fee. Then at the end of the month, you get a bill from the credit card company showing all of the charges you have made and you write them one check. Now, this is quite a convenience, especially in today's mobile and online society. After all, you can't exactly put a bunch of $20 bills into your computer when you purchase something at Amazon. I still remember when I first entered the business world, my father recommended I get an American Express card because that's what businessmen did. They are accepted all over the world and they have no fixed spending limit, which is very helpful when you have to fly to San Jose with very little notice. Like anything else, though, credit cards have their downside. The fees charged by the merchant banks that process the credit card transactions can become quite expensive, driving the cost of goods higher. I still remember when gas stations used to charge different prices when you paid in cash or with a charge. The second problem is that these card companies are extending credit to their users. This made it harder for young people just entering the market with no credit history to get a credit card. Enter the debit card. In 1966, the Bank of Delaware issued the first debit card. It works similar to a credit card, except the company doesn't extend you credit for the purchase. They deduct it directly from your bank account. For that reason, debit cards are generally used by banks or other institutions where you keep your money. This direct withdrawal from your account solved the credit issue, but not the cost of accepting these cards. However, their convenience has led to the widespread adoption not only of accepting credit and debit cards, but using them instead of cash, even for small purchases. Credit and debit cards are not a form of digital currency. When you use plastic to pay for things, the currency is still dollars, yen, or British pounds. Also, you are doing business with your bank or credit card company, not the government. If you've ever looked at the little terminals you use for a credit card purchase, you've seen authorizing pop up on the screen. This is the terminal contacting the business's payment center to make sure they will get their money. If you don't have sufficient funds or credit on your account, your purchase will be declined. Now, the ubiquity of the use of credit and debit cards have helped create the situation where digital currencies can flourish. The other phenomena leading to the push for CBDCs was the explosion of cryptocurrencies. In response to the lax monetary policies created by Congress, people have always looked for ways to protect themselves from the volatility and inflation of government fiat currencies. A fiat currency is one not backed by physical assets such as gold or silver. The problem is most alternatives involve physical assets which have the same problems as cash, which gave rise to the cryptocurrency. In 1983, cryptographer David Chalm proposed a form of electronic cash, a token currency that could be transferred between individuals safely and privately. Chaum founded DigiCast in 1990 and created the first cryptographic currency called eCash. Although DigiCash went bankrupt in 1998, the encryption tools played an important role in the development of today's cryptocurrencies. 
Not all digital currencies are cryptocurrencies. The Bitcoin and Ethereum most people are familiar with use cryptography to both secure and verify each transaction. Cryptography is also used to create and manage the currency itself. The biggest advantage of cryptocurrencies to date is that they do not involve any government entities. When you make a digital transaction using a credit or debit card, you are still transferring dollars created and managed by the federal government. Not so with most cryptocurrencies. Now, attempts have been made to create a cryptocurrency based on the U.S. dollar, but they've been unsuccessful. There are several practical disadvantages to cryptocurrencies, though. First, the cost of creating the currency is quite high, which helps lead to the second disadvantage, volatility. If you wish to trade in cryptocurrencies, you better have nerves of steel, as the value of a single Bitcoin or Ethereum token can change by thousands of dollars in a single day or even a single hour. The last disadvantage I want to bring up today is more technical. See, every cryptocurrency I know of uses a blockchain as its ledger. The cryptography necessary for the blockchain to work requires a significant amount of computing power. For this reason, anyone using a blockchain has to balance how frequently the chain updates with the cost of the computing power needed for those updates. For that reason, most large-scale blockchains I'm familiar with only update every 5 to 15 minutes. Most people I know don't want to be standing in the checkout line at the grocery store for 5 minutes while their cryptocurrency transaction gets posted to the blockchain. From a government point of view, cryptocurrencies pose a problem. The government can't see what's going on. Most of you probably know that any transaction over $10,000 is reported by the bank to the IRS. You may even know that it is considered a federal crime to structure your deposits to remain under the $10,000 threshold. Recently, the IRS has been warning people that transactions over $600 through online payment facilities like PayPal or Venmo will also be reported to the IRS. All of this under the guise of preventing money laundering and financial terrorism. That means the federal government is surveilling as many of your financial transactions as they think they can get away with. But what happens if cryptocurrencies find a way to mitigate their disadvantages, or people just get fed up with the ongoing surveillance state? They may start doing business in crypto and leave old Uncle Sam in the dark. Enter central bank digital currencies. Before getting into the details, there's a question we need to answer. Would an American CBDC be constitutional? Well, under Article 1, Section 8, Clause 5 of the Constitution, Congress has the power to coin money, regulate the value thereof and of foreign coin, and fix the standard of weights and measures. Like so many words in the English language, their meaning is dependent on the context and on the part of speech. In the phrase, to coin money, the word coin is a verb, meaning to stamp a metal and convert it into money, to make as to coin words, or to make as to forge, to fabricate. That means that Article 1, Section 8, Clause 5 delegates to Congress the power to make money, including a digital currency. There are some real advantages to a digital currency. Much like a credit or debit card, it would be easy and convenient to use. Since most of our credit and debit cards have chips on them, I wouldn't be surprised if early versions of an American digital currency would be issued on the exact same type of card you're used to. Of course, there would also be an app for your phone, but using a currency on a card would be both familiar and help calm any fears many people would have about requiring the use of a smartphone or smartwatch 
for all of your transactions. Since a digital currency would not have the cryptographic overhead of a cryptocurrency, the transactions would be faster, not just in person, but for anything you pay for, like mortgages, utility bills, or buying a car from a neighbor. No worries about the check bouncing or having to wait days for it to clear. Digital currencies would also be cheaper with no transaction fees to be paid. While some proponents point to saving money on wire transfers, that's something I don't think most Americans use regularly. So this points to the largest disadvantage of CBDCs. When you use a credit card, a debit card, payment app, or wire transfer, you are dealing with a bank or credit card company. When you use a CBDC, you are dealing directly with the Federal Reserve. Three. Each and every transaction you make with a CBDC will be recorded by the Federal Reserve and therefore be known to the federal government. Remember what you saw authorizing on your payment terminal? Well, with a credit card, debit card, or payment app, that was the system checking with your bank or credit card to authorize the purchase. What happens though when it's the federal government that's doing the authorizing? Do you remember when Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau froze the bank accounts of truckers for peacefully protesting COVID lockdowns? Proponents of CBDCs claim these concerns can be mitigated by not making their use mandatory. Now take a look at recent history. Do you really believe that governments won't outlaw the use of other currencies? Back in 1971, then-President Richard Nixon ordered his Treasury Secretary, John Connolly, to suspend the ability of foreign banks to exchange dollars for gold. This was the end of dollars being attached to the price of gold, or as is more commonly known, the gold standard. What would stop a future president from simply issuing an executive order to prevent federal departments from accepting or paying with anything other than an American digital currency? Based on recent actions in response to COVID-19, I would expect just about any president to issue an executive order demanding that companies with more than 100 employees only do business in digital dollars. Now, Imagine you are making a purchase using your digital dollar. That authorizing message has new meaning as you wait to see if the federal government will authorize your purchase. Unfortunately, that won't be the end of it. Suppose the Federal Reserve decides to implement a negative interest rate. How can you protect your money from these federal raiders if you are required to keep your money in accounts they hold? Imagine going to purchase something only to find that some percentage of your bank account disappears every month. Imagine the federal government decides to fine you for misinformation. You know, like PayPal tried. No trial, no due process, just money gone from your account. Poof. And in the midst of this, you have no place to go. Sure, you could probably trade in gold and silver on the black market, but wouldn't you expect Congress to pass a law calling that money laundering or, or financial terrorism? Should the United States implement a CBDC, then the failure of the Republic would be complete. All it would take is the Fed refusing to honor cash, and everyone would be forced to do business with one bank, the Federal Reserve. We would look more like communist China than the country created by the framers of the Constitution. This experiment in self-government will have failed. And the answer Benjamin Franklin gave to what kind of government have you given us? will haunt our ears. A republic, if you can keep it. I have an, an interesting interview right after this break, but before I go, I want to ask you, you want a boost to your short-term memory? You want better focus? Well, try out Healthy Cells Focus and Recall. 
It's a simple travel-ready gel pack full of vitamins designed to restore your focus and help you get through the day without the caffeine and sugar that you see in, in coffee or energy drinks. Now, you can find Focus and Recall and a bunch of other great products at HealthyCell.com, the leading innovator in supplements designed for health at the cellular level. Now, as an America Out Loud listener, you can get 25% off your first order if you use the code OUTLOUD at checkout. So do me a favor, go to HealthyCell.com, put your card together, use the code OUTLOUD. It lets them know you listen to America Out Loud, and you get 25% off your first order. Join us right after the break for the interview with Alex Newman. In 2008, the amount of concentrated time people could spend on a task without becoming distracted was 12 seconds. Five years later, it was only eight seconds, one second less than a goldfish. The digital age is narrowing our attention span. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Advanced nutrition company Healthy Cell created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-based ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus, concentrate longer, and strengthen recall. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top, shoot it down, or mix it in water. Over a thousand reviews with an average star rating of over 4.5 proves it works. Supercharge your brain and see the difference. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. That's HealthyCell.com. Code out loud. All right. You've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the pulpidone iodine-based nasal spray, Cofix RX. They talk about it because it's a product that actually works in combating colds, flus, and coronaviruses. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. It's simple. By attacking viruses where they incubate, you make it easier for your body to heal. Check out the CofixRx banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD. Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com where we're healing America one person at a time. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You rejoin the Constitution study. Today we're talking about CDBCs. Now, I, I focused in the first segment on my article where I was looking at the, the domestic questions around CBDCs, but I saw this wonderful video from a gentleman by the name of Alex Newman about the international considerations. Now, for the last 11 years, Alex has been teaching advanced economics, some of America's brightest high school seniors, through his Freedom Project Academy an accredited K-12 Christian school offering a classical education to future leaders worldwide. He's also He also has an education blog called The Newman Report. And before all that, uh, Alex, welcome to the Constitution Study. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here, Paul. I, I think we actually met once. We did, I think we met at uh, Mike Lindell's event um, one time before. But uh, I give, gave what I thought was a pretty good description 
of a CDBC. I'd love to hear your description of them and obviously what their impact is. Well, I think the best way to understand CBDC is as a tool of total control, to quote uh, the general manager of the Bank for International Settlements, which is coordinating this process at the international level, right? coordinating the central banks of the world in um, making this a reality. It is um, basically a, a mechanism whereby every uh, unit of currency that is spent can be tracked, can be regulated, can be controlled. And um, it essentially eliminates all privacy, all financial privacy, right? You can't uh, do any economic transaction without uh, being tracked, monitored, and et cetera. Uh, it makes everybody dependent on the government, the central banks, and the banking sector to be able to transact. Whereas right now, you can go and spend cash and you don't need anybody's permission for that. Um, once you move to a central bank digital currency system, that freedom is gone. Um, and again, it, uh, it enables uh, even more Orwellian things like um, what they're describing as programmable currency, which, uh, of course, would be linked in with your social credit score. If you are not uh, a loyal enough subject, then uh, you may find yourself in trouble. You may not be able to buy certain things. You may not be able to spend money uh, more than a certain distance from your house. You may not be able to um, acquire certain things that you need. And in extreme cases, uh, you could just be shut off, right? If your uh, social credit score drops below a certain level. So this, I think, needs to be understood clearly as a tool of totalitarians. And, um, you know, all of the pretended excuses for why we need it uh, are, are really just smoke and mirrors. It's just a pretext. The real reason is that they want to completely control every single person on this planet. It's the it's the uh, ugly stepchild of uh, the communist Chinese vaccine passport and uh, Obama's Operation Choke Point. You know, whether it's it's a political issue or whatever issue, uh, you're controlled because there's no longer. I mean, what happens to all of the traditional banks if if all transactions go through the Federal Reserve? I, I described it as, you know, when you go to that credit card terminal and you put your card in, it says authorizing. Right now, that's your bank authorizing a transaction. What happens when it's the federal government? But the interesting question to me is what happens to all the banks that we're traditionally dealing with if all transactions are going through the Federal Reserve now. Yeah, and you know the Federal Reserve is, I think, one of the most dangerous institutions in the world. Um, it's not federal. It doesn't actually have reserves. It is a cartel of private banks that, uh, through the nefarious activities of a bunch of mega bankers, and in my opinion, criminals, uh, was able to hijack total control of our economy by obtaining a monopoly delegated by Congress over our currency and uh, the credit in this economy. Um, they uh, basically tried central planning again. I mean, we know central planning doesn't work, and yet uh, the people who run this cartel are working right now, and they have been for over 100 years, to centrally plan interest rates. Now, interest rates are the most important single price in the economy. It's the price that affects everything else in the economy. And instead of allowing the market to determine what interest rates should be uh, based on you know, the supply of loanable funds, how much money people are saving and so on, how much money people are willing to lend out uh, and the demand for loanable funds, how much money people want to borrow to uh, engage in projects or purchase things that they may not be able to afford right this moment. Uh, that's where the interest rates in a free market would come from. Well, uh, under the Federal Reserve's leadership, that has become completely orchestrated by this private cartel of central of, of, of um, privately owned uh, banks. And uh, one of the things that the central bank digital currency will allow that uh, wasn't possible before is negative interest rates. 
Right? Uh, we have seen during the last uh, 12 or 13 years um, that the central banks of the world have pushed interest rates into unimaginably low territory. And in some cases, in some of the central banks in Europe and other places, they even went into negative territory. But the problem when they go into negative territory is that then um, people will just uh, refuse to keep their money in a bank, right? Why, why should you keep your money in a bank if you're going to be charged interest or if you're going to be charged money to keep it there? And so uh, they're very limited in terms of their uh, policy options once they get to that point. Well, if they could get rid of cash and move us into a central bank digital currency system, uh, they can make uh, interest rates as negative as they want. They could say for every month you keep your money in this uh, account, uh, you're going to pay a, a 20% fee and you have no choice then but to go out and spend it or give the uh, banking cartel a huge chunk of your money. So this really makes us into vassals of the uh, of the mega banks and um, it it, uh, it allows them to uh, to rip us off at an unprecedented level, something that would have been unimaginable even just a few years ago. Didn't Japan try negative interest rates and it had an interesting side effect, the sale of, of home safes? Yeah, and, and uh, exactly, and and that's exactly what happens around the world. Right? Why would anybody uh, pay money to have their uh, their savings in a bank when uh, they could just take it out and put it in a safe? Uh, so it's it is very obvious, and that has been a real limiting factor for the central bankers of the world over the last ten years, where they wanted to push interest rates lower and lower and lower until they got below zero, and and then they hit the wall. Well, uh, this is just a, another way for them to be able to rip us off in ways that they couldn't if we have cash. Now, there are those out there that, that they are proponents for these CDBDCs. And they said, well, listen, that's a lot of scaremongering. I mean, all we have to do is say CBDCs are not mandatory and all that, that fear should just melt away. What's your opinion of that? No, I, I think uh, if anything, and, you know, fear is not a good response to anything. Uh, fear is uh, is a tool that's used to manipulate us. But I think um, we need to see the obvious implications of this. This is a tool to control us. This is a tool to strip us of our freedoms. And um, it would be, I think, unreasonable at this point not to be concerned about this. Um, at, at that at this point, you're just, you know, you're being an ostrich and you're sticking your head in the sand. And that is not a good uh, policy for anything, right? That's if you're an ostrich, that it just ends up with the lion eating you while you got your head under the sand. Um, same thing for for human beings. You know, trying to hide from this is not a sensible response. We must uh, recognize what they're doing here and resist it. Yeah, I, you know, like my answer to to those who said uh, we'll just make it non mandatory is take a look around. Do you really think this will not become mandatory? I mean, it, just take a look at what they did with COVID. All I'll need is, is an, declare an emergency, and they'll and it could easily take over uh, everything. And I like that when I was listening to your video, uh, I was watching your video. You were talking about uh, Charles Schwab, and I can't remember the other gentleman's name from the uh, was the International Bank of Reconciliation, uh, the Bank for International Settlements. Yeah, International Settlements, and th this is they're like you know giddy with excitement, saying, "Look at what we can do." Once we have control of all the money. Yep. And, uh, you know, a lot of this has been revealed to us by uh, insiders. Right? Uh, I've got a book uh, right behind me, actually, called Tragedy and Hope by uh, Dr. Carol Quigley. He was a history professor at Georgetown University. He mentored uh, Bill Clinton, a very, very prominent individual who was very proud of being close to the global elites for much of his life. Uh, and he actually says in his book that um, the the people who control the world were trying to build this global um system where they would control the politics and the economy of the entire world 
And uh, they said the apex of the system was going to be the Bank for International Settlements, which is the, the institution. It's based in Switzerland, uh, totally beyond any kind of accountability. None of its leaders or officers can be um, arrested or, or anything like that. They have total immunity from all liability, total immunity from arrest, total immunity from taxation. Um, and uh, it says this, the apex of this global totalitarian system, he said it was going to be based on feudalist principles, would be the Bank for International Settlements. And so it's no surprise to see the Bank for International Settlements, which is kind of like the central bank for the world's central banks, uh, coordinating this move uh, worldwide towards central bank digital currencies. And uh, again, the general manager, uh, Agustin, I forget his last name, but he actually explains in clear language that the reason why these CBDCs are so different from cash is because then the central banks have total control, absolute control is the language he uses over uh, every element of these currencies in a way that allows them to track and control and trace and tax every single transaction. So um, th this is a critical part of the global control grid that's being brought in. Uh, we've known about this now for many decades, and yet it is still continuing to happen with most Americans being totally clueless about it. Yeah, I remember the line he was saying, you know, right now, nobody knows who's spending that $100 bill, who's who's using that 1,000 peso note. And that to him was a problem. And it, 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 to me, it's the perfect example of a totalitarian. They must control everything in our lives. And this is an ex, this is a perfect vehicle to do so. For those of my more biblically minded listeners, it, it may remind you of well, some of the stories out of the book of Revelation where you can't, you know, just look at in China, right? You can't buy, you can't sell, you can't go without an app on your phone that says so. Imagine when you can't go to the grocery store and you're, you know, you go to the grocery store and you're waiting for the government to approve what you're buying to eat. Uh, it, it is a level of control. The, the, the feudalist society where serfs own nothing and they, they rent from the lords. And as Clark Schwab put it, uh, we'll enjoy it. We'll be happy. That's right. You'll own nothing, but you'll be happy. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I don't think, I don't know about you, but I, I certainly wouldn't be happy. So what can people do uh, both to help maybe slow this down, if not stop it, but also to protect themselves from it? Well, I think for one, we've got to get off the couch and get active. And uh, that begins with becoming educated, right? Um, action without uh, education um, just leads to, to silliness. So we've got to become educated about what we're facing. And um, and after becoming educated, we need to get involved. And that includes getting involved in the political realm. That includes uh, doing everything we can to avoid feeding this monster. Stop doing business with the evil mega corporations that are working to enslave you and steal your freedom. Stop using Google. Stop using Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan. Um, you know, start using cash. Stop using MasterCard and Visa when they have so openly declared their intention to eliminate cash. Uh, everything we can do um, as consumers to steer uh, money away from these woke mega corporations working to enslave us and back into our local communities, local mom and pop shops, independent businesses. Uh, that's very important. But I do think people need to get involved in the political realm. And, you know, that begins with simple things like calling your congressman and saying you want a meeting, calling your state representative and your state senator and setting up a meeting, uh, educating members of your community. Uh, and then running for office and supporting candidates for office that are not going to sell you out and betray you and, and uh, stick a knife in your freedom. Um, and, uh, you know, we need to be doing all those things. And I also think that people need to pray. I mean, we're, we're in a very, very tough spot as a nation. We should always be praying anyway. That's what the Bible says. But um, right now we're in a very dangerous situation as a country. And if we're not careful, uh, we may end up losing our nation and our freedoms and everything else that we hold dear. 
um, we're in a crisis situation. It's time for people to get active. Yeah, I absolutely agree. In fact, one of the pieces of advice I use is, yes, when, pre prepare before you talk to your representatives. So often I see people and they have these these arguments and they, they're very outlandish or they're not based in actual data and facts. They can't produce proof of what they're saying, which makes it easy to, to ignore them. One of the most important things is right now, the push for CBDCs in the United States is being done illegally because it's being done to the executive branch when it's Congress that has the power to coin money. Only Congress could authorize a CBDC. Why is it Biden and his treasury that is figuring out how to do this? It, you know, it should be Congress is working this. But then, then that's another example of if you're going to your congressman to talk about this, point out that their power is being stolen by an executive branch that's pushing this on the American people. And uh, maybe it's time that they start re re regaining some of the control they've handed over to the presidency. Yeah, that's absolutely essential. I mean, the Constitution contains the solutions for so many of these problems that we're dealing with. If we could just get the federal government to do what every single one of these people takes an oath to do, which is uphold and defend our Constitution, uh, most of these problems would fade away. There's no authority for any of this stuff in the Constitution. They need to uh, be brought to heel. But that's not going to happen until an educated and informed and activated electorate demands it. Uh, absolutely. So we've got a few minutes left before the break. Um, where can people find more of your content? Tell us maybe what you're working on and, and uh, what the last thing you'd like people to know about uh, whatever you're working on now. Uh, well, thank you very much, Paul. So uh, I'm senior editor at The New American Magazine. So a lot of my work is at thenewamerican.com or in the print magazine. Uh, my personal website is libertysentinel.org. Uh, I contribute to a lot of different publications, including the Epic Times, um, and then I'm executive director of Public School Exits. Uh, it's a volunteer position, but I'm really passionate about trying to get as many children as possible out of the government's indoctrination centers masquerading as schools. And so uh, right now, I just got back from Egypt. I've been working heavily on this uh, climate change issue. I went to the UN Climate Summit there. Uh, we'll have all those uh, major investigative, in-depth, exclusive reports uh, in the New American Magazine. It'll be in the first issue of 2023. So um, I hope people will follow that. Uh, you know, so many important things going on in the world. I know it's hard to keep track of it all, but um, it's critical that we do it. And uh, thanks so much for having me on the program, Paul. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining me. It's like I said, I, we met once, I believe, at the, the Mike Lindell event. And so when your face popped up on my screen, it, it, it did that click. But this is the type of information that's important. And, you know, while my focus is on the U.S. Constitution and that point of view, to see the international point of view is important. So uh, great information for my, my uh, audience to follow. You know, head over to New American, head over to all these sites. I'm very much about getting uh, children out of the... Uh, the government schools, uh, they call them public schools, but they're, they're government schools. And it sounds like a lot of great work you're going on. Thank you for your time and uh, joining us here at the Constitution Study. Thank you so much, Paul. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview as, as much as I did. Um, you know, as I said, I've met Alex Newman, and it was good to have a, a nice discussion and, and maybe get the bigger picture of this dystopian future that is being laid for us under the bed, under the disguise of, hey, it'll make your life easier and life is great and life is wonderful. You can have all the goodies of a CDBC, a CBDC, but it's going to cost you all of your freedom. And I don't know about you, I don't, I don't think that's a fair trade. So again, we head over to, to New American. Uh, you can find the, the video I was watching and uh, 
maybe educate yourself a little bit more so that you can prepare to meet with your elected officials, state, federal, to prepare to meet with them and uh, have an argument based in not only a, a cogent, reasonable, tight argument, but one where you've got proof of what you're saying. That seems to me to be one of the biggest shortcomings in a lot of people when they come to me and ask for my advice. It's their arguments are passionate. They, they may be well articulated, but they, they really aren't. Uh, there isn't a lot of evidence that they have found to prove their point. Now, we'll get into more about the CBDCs after this break. Before I go, you know, just like I brought in Alex Newman, America Out Loud has lots of different voices to get different points of view. So do me a favor, head to AmericaOutloud.com every day to get what the news and the happenings, what's going on in the world. It's more important than ever that we do our part, that we share this information, the stories, the articles, the podcasts, the videos, so that we can share in the work and all secure the blessings of liberty. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. America Out Loud beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. We are America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Oral hygiene hasn't changed in 50 years, but our diet and the way we eat has, creating an environment in your mouth for bacteria to wreak havoc on your teeth and gums. For better oral health, Get Spry Dental Defense, an oral care line designed to combat acid-creating bacteria. The toothpaste, mouthwash, mints, and gum all contain xylitol, a natural ingredient shown to dramatically improve oral health. Spry can be found online and at all fine natural retailers. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You rejoin the Constitution Study, and today... Well, we're talking about CDBCs and the, I guess you'd call it the road to serfdom. Now, during the break, I went back to the video that, that uh, Alex and I were talking about. And, and I wanted to pull a couple clips to show this is not a conspiracy theory. This is not pie in the sky, oh my God, you know, tinfoil hat stuff. This is the people who are doing this telling us exactly what their plans are. And if we don't listen to them... Well, we're going to get exactly what they're telling us they're going to do. Uh, for example, the uh, Augustine Karstens, he is the general manager of the, the Bank for International Settlement. He's the gentleman we were talking about and we couldn't remember his name. Well, these are his words about um, what their plans are. Now, in all our analysis on CBDC, in particular for the use of general, to the general use, 
Uh, we tend to establish the equivalence with cash. Uh, and there is a huge difference there. Uh, for example, in cash, uh, we don't know, for example, who's using a $100 bill today. We don't know who is using a 1,000 peso bill today. Now, let me interrupt for just a second, because this is an important point. Their issue is they do not know who is using the money. That appears to be one of the biggest problems they have here is they don't know who is using the money. Um, Mr. Carstens goes on. Uh, a key difference in, with the CBDC is that central bank will have absolute control on the rules and regulations that will determine the use of that uh, expression of central bank liability. And also, we will have the technology to enforce that. Those, are, those two issues are extremely important, and that makes a huge difference with respect to what, she, to what cash is. There you have it, in his own words. See, the, the central banks will be able to control, and I love the way he puts it, this expression of the central bank's liability. In other words, the money isn't yours. It's, it belongs to the central bank. They let you use it, and they want control of how you use it. They want to establish the rules and regulations by which you can use their money. And again, I, I mentioned before, for those of you more biblically minded, this should sound awfully familiar if you've ever read the book of Revelations. This is nothing new, by the way. This has been going on for decades. We have uh, 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 a gentleman, Alan Russo, and he was involved he was knew the uh, people part of the part of the Rockefeller move and what their plans were this is going back what to the 70s the whole the, the whole agenda is to create a one world government where everybody has an R, R, an RFID chip implanted in them all money is to be um, in those chips right there'll be no more cash and this is given me straight from Rockefeller himself. This is what they want to accomplish. And all money will be in your chips. And so any so not, instead of having cash, anytime you have money in your in your in your chip, they can take out whatever they want to take out whenever they want to. If they say you owe us this much money in taxes, they just deduct it out of your chip digitally. Total control. Total control. And if you're like me or you, and you're protesting what they're doing, they can just turn off your chip. And you have nothing. You can't buy food. You can't do anything. It's total control of the people. Now, you know me, I'm not much of a conspiracy theorist, but it certainly sounds like this has been building for quite a while. Uh, the, the move towards a one-world government, and, and I've seen that in the push to get the UN to become a super legislature. And just think about this for a minute. When our framers formed the Constitution... They wanted the federal government to be dealing with foreign relations. They wanted the states to deal with domestic issues because they were closest to the people. What happens when you're dealing with a, a single world government, you know, kind of like a, a super UN? What, can, what control do you have? What input do you have? And when your monetary supply is controlled not by a government, not by uh, people elected by the people to represent them, but by a banking system. When, when the banking system can determine 
oh, we want some of that money back. Thank you very much. Or uh, we don't, you know, we don't like what you're saying. We don't like the protest. We're going to shut you off. This truly is a dystopian future. And as Carl Schwab said, COVID-19 was the accelerator. It was the nitrous oxide that took us from plodding along towards this to racing at breakneck speed. COVID-19, if anything, has accelerated this ongoing industrial revolution. If COVID had happened even 10 years ago, we could not have imagined moving entire companies, schools, and government offices so fast online. Today, that is a reality. The fourth industrial revolution has become a reality. A revolution where we no longer have freedom and liberty. Where we have a central government that, that as, as he said, owns everything. You'll own nothing. You'll rent what you need and you'll be happy. That's what these people have in store for us. And CDBCs appear to be a critical component into controlling the people. See, under Rome, you had bread and circuses. We'll control the people by offering them food and entertainment to keep them, well, from rioting against us. What happens when it's not offering you food and circuses? It's determining whether or not you can purchase food or whether you can attend the circus. I, we, we look at what's going on in communist China where you, know, you have to have your COVID app. And, uh, you know, if you... If you uh, don't follow the rules, well, the COVID app says, no, you can't go to the store, you can't use public transit, you can't get on a train, you, you can't travel. Do we really want that here in America? I mean, even if the rest of the world goes crazy and adopts this stuff, do we want that here in the good old U.S. of A.? See, if we want to be the land of the free, this cannot be allowed. This, this cannot be a component of our lives because this is the destruction of freedom and liberty. The CBDCs, I know credit cards are convenient, but is it worth the convenience in order to uh, hand over your freedom? We're always dealing with that balancing act. What We have to decide what's more important to us. Uh, trust me. I use credit cards all the time. I have for years. When I travel, it's an easy way for me to deal with my bookkeeping, right? Because I don't have to deal with receipts and, and all that. I simply, you know, wave my piece of plastic. Then at the end of the month, I get a statement that says you are here and you purchased this. And I, oh, okay, I can easily do my bookkeeping. But I have to wonder, is that really safe anymore? And I don't have to carry around wads of cash because, you know, heaven forbid, I get robbed. I don't want to be, lose hundreds of thousands, hundreds of dollars in cash, even thousands of dollars in cash. But is it worth my freedom? Is it worth making it easier for these people to take over our lives? Now, I'm not saying we should all run away from credit cards. I'm saying you should really seriously consider how you do business. How do you prepare for the possibility that whether it be whether it be a CBDC or something else, government finds a way to control how you spend money? They get control of the cash. Hey, maybe it's just the IRS 
being informed of each and every transaction you make using a credit card or a check. How do you protect yourself from that? Well, the first thing I would say is, is educate yourself. Not just that this might happen, but, but what are the rules? What are the laws? And certainly we should, be, uh, we should be dealing with our elected officials, informing them of the constitutional issues here, informing them of the rights issues here. Because remember, a CBDC, by it, a mandatory CBDC, which there's no, a CBDC makes no sense unless it eventually becomes mandatory. That violates the Fifth Amendment. But could you make an argument for that? It, it, it violates, it deprives you of the liberty of doing business without being snooped on. Can you make that argument? Could you make the Fourth Amendment argument that by tracking and knowing about each and every transaction, that is an unreasonable search? Could you make that argument to a public official, to, to a, an elected, you know, someone in an elected office, your representative? Could you bring evidence? Could you bring proof? I have a challenge out there to my to my scholars, those of you who remember at, at constitutionalscholars.com. I, I want to work together to put a, a something together to help people explain the dangers, explain the issues, explain the laws regarding whether it be a CBDC or the IRS tracking every transaction that you make. Because whether it's a CBDC or not, COVID has told us Governments will try to control every aspect of your life, whether it's a, a vaccine passport or a digital currency, whether it's, it's lockdowns or having to prove you're allowed to go about your life, to go shopping, to drive your car. All of these are at stake. Now, in addition to education, you may want to make some plans. I don't know what the answer is. I see a lot of possibilities, right? Maybe you want to store up uh, gold and silver. Uh, I would recommend that you find a way of doing it that, so that you, you, physically, you have to physically in possession of the asset, but that it be in small enough denominations to be useful. You don't want to have to go to the grocery store with you know, $500 worth of gold to buy a quart of milk. Kind of defeats the purpose. Besides, I think that'd be kind of heavy to walk around with that in your pockets. But I also think it means building relationships with local business people, local vendors, so that as government, and I believe they will, eventually takes tries to take more and more control over the economy, there is a, an underground economy, a, a legitimate economy. right? Uh, you know, Black markets and underground makes it sound nefarious. No, no, no. I'm talking about a legitimate economy among we, the people. How can you make sure that you can still get groceries, that you can, what, everything, getting your hair cut, um, getting seeds for your garden, uh, getting your car repaired. How can you make sure that can still happen as government tries to take control of more and more of our lives through these economic means? I believe these are all questions. These are all good questions. I believe they're all questions that we should be asking. And I believe it's questions that, well, we need to start finding answers for. 
I know these look like, like, you know, these are difficult times we're talking about. And it would be easy to simply sit back and say, well, Paul, what can I do? I mean, it's just me. But that answer leaves you unprepared. There's a saying that says, the body will not go where the mind has not already been. If we don't think about the possibilities, if we don't pray for the best but prepare for the worst, we get caught flat-footed and unprepared and, and, not, and unable to deal with the issues when they, when they appear. I don't know about you, I would much rather be prepared and not need it than need it and not be prepared for it. Now, if you have some ideas, I certainly don't have all the, the wisdom. I'm sure there are people, they've got great ideas, you've got great thoughts on, on how to prepare. Do me a favor. Um, when this episode comes out on podcast, leave me a comment. Let me know what your suggestions are. If they're, if they're good ones, we'll amplify them. You know, but let other people know, hey, have you thought about this? Or have you thought, about, like I said, if you thought about the, the, the issue of dealing with gold and silver in small enough denominations... Um, can the states set up uh, gold depositories that work like banks? So if the federal government goes crazy, at least our state can be sane. Have we thought about that? But put the comments in there and, and let other people know. Maybe we can start an interesting discussion. Either that or head to the website. Go to constitutionstudy.com. Click the ask a question and pose your idea. Hey, have we considered this? Have we thought about that? See. It's not good enough to sit back and notice there's a problem. We need to be working toward a solution. That means working together toward a solution, not expecting someone up, someone else to come up with a solution for you. If everybody waits for somebody to do something, then nobody does anything. And again, we're caught unprepared. Also, if you know of other topics that, that you would like me to, to discuss, again, head to the website, constitutionstudy.com. Ask a question, click the contact, Paul, give me an idea, and we'll see what we can do. By the way, I'm still looking for questions. I love answering questions. I did one yesterday, I'm sorry, Friday. Uh, I'd like to do some more. So again, head to constitutionstudy.com, click the ask a question, and ask me a question. Just hit the checkbox that said, you'd like me to answer it on the radio. I'll be more than happy to. And, and rather than leaving you on that doom and gloom thought, let me remind you of this. The American people, since, uh, since we landed on this country in Jamestown and on Plymouth Rock, the American people have always found a way. Sure, there were some that just rolled over and played dead. They, were, they capitulated, they went along. That's human nature. But there have always been Americans that have found a way. It's not all doom and gloom. We can find a way. It may not be the way we want. It may not be the best solution. It may just be the best option we have of the options we have left. But we can either stand up and live as free people. We can bend the knee, bow, and scrape, and not own, and rent, and claim to be happy about it, just like Charles Schwab wants. The decision is ours. Whether we bow or whether we stand, whether we are the land of the free and the home of the brave is not a decision made by those in government. It's a decision made by we, the people, each and every day. I encourage you, study the Constitution, learn your rights, 
so you can wake up every morning and realize we are free. Now, what can we do to maintain that freedom for ourselves and for our posterity? One of the things may be letting people know, every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern, they can hear the Constitution Study on America Out Loud Talk Radio, heard in the iHeartRadio Network. If you can't listen live, listen to the podcast every day. They come out a day or two after they're heard on the radio. Just search your favorite podcast app. You can find all the links at the homepage at americaoutloud.com. See, we can do this. We can do this by sharing those links and all of this information so that we can work together to share the blessings of liberty for all of us in this great nation. From sea to shining sea.